We make thousands of decisions every day, often automatically, using mental shortcuts we've created over years of life experience, which is why we're often overconfident about the likely outcomes of our judgments. The human decision-making process is complicated and influenced by emotions, environmental noise, and our own conscious and unconscious biases, and we get it wrong all the time. You can improve this important skill by leaning on data and expertise, choosing a proven methodology, and being less confident. Hello, and welcome to Boosting Performance. This is the podcast to listen to if you want bite-sized practical tips on how to improve your performance in the workplace. I'm Alastair Cole. And I'm Kieran Gill. We founded the Uplift Partnership to help organizations thrive by boosting their sales performance. To subscribe to this podcast, head over to our website, boostingperformancepodcast.com. In this debut series, we tackle eight of the biggest current workplace challenges. Today's topic is making better decisions, a complex process that we undertake a hundred times every day and often the difference between success and failure. So Alistair, have you got a story that you can share with us? Yes, I do. I'm in a soundproofed uh, wardrobe inside my my twin daughter's bedroom recording this uh, in Walthamstow in East 17 in East London. And our choice of coming to this part of the world to put down roots was a, a massive decision for us. So yeah, and, and we've been in the house just over a year now. So maybe 14 months. And it was a really big deal. It was a really big call. We were living in West London where the girls had been born in 2015. And we knew that we wanted to be settled, create a family home and put the girls into school. And so we we didn't have the £2.5 million you need to buy a, a, a three-bedroom house in Brook Green in West London. And so we, we knew we needed to look somewhere else. And that kicked off a big project. And we ended up here in Walthamstow. So going back to when you made that decision, um, how much data and, and research did you actually do? And how long did that last for? Well, I love a spreadsheet i love my research i love the data and i started looking at the different places where i moved to we looked um across uh, north london we looked outside london in the kind of commuter belt even as far as cambridge where i've lived before so we probably had 10 or so places kind of towards the north and northeast of london going out into the home counties and we knew lots of those places we went and visited them we went for and a lunch in local pub with friends of ours who lived there. So we did a bit of kind of local research with, with friends and family. We also did a lot of number crunching, specifically in the schools area, because I knew that once we got here, the girls would end up going to primary school and then secondary school. So I started crunching, pulling the, the data from government websites about the success and um, performance of schools for girls in that area and I did a whole load of cross-referencing um, in order to pick the the, the, the best schools based on their, um, their exam performance over the last three years. So there was loads of research, loads of spreadsheets. Did you use an actual methodology to to make the decision of something that was going to be so critical because it wasn't a, 
uh, a, a, a non-risk decision, was it? There, there's obviously a lot of risk. We were talking a lot of money here. So what kind of methodology did you actually use to, to come to your decision? We didn't use a formal methodology. We spent many nights boiling down the critical factors until we had five. Five things that were absolutely critical. The, the culture of the place, work possibilities in terms of commuting, what was going on with the schools, house prices, and proximity to amenities. And we, we talked about these things being really critical. And, and every time we went to visit somewhere or we'd got some data from somewhere, we we discussed how that, uh, kind of how it scored. And we didn't give it a, any informal numbers, but we thought we talked about how it, how it stacked up against those five. How confident were you once you've made your decision? A, a key reason for moving and renting in Walthamstow first is because we knew it was going to be really hard to get across London, dragging three-year-old twins, you know, an hour and a half to view places. And serendipitously, what that also did for us is it allowed us to, you know, see the borough and get used to the, the village. And we rented for 18 months before we moved into a new house. And so actually, we were able to gauge whether we liked it. And the more we stayed, the more we loved it. And so I think that that gave us confidence that we picked the right place and once we knew that then actually kind of um buying the house was probably was probably secondary so yeah having lived in Walthamstow for 18 months before buying gave us the confidence that we'd made the right decision decision making is the process we use to identify and choose alternatives humans make around 35,000 conscious decisions every single day at work and in our personal lives it's basically a problem-solving activity, which can be more or less rational or irrational based on your own personal moral standards, societal pressures, legal matters, and the responsibilities of your workplace role. And there are a multitude of influencing factors, including noise, bias, emotions, plus your environment, time pressure, and actual versus perceived level of knowledge. And we get it wrong a lot, because these factors are all in flux, and we're human. Many parts of the brain are involved when making decisions, and we are influenced by many factors such as our risks and rewards, values and beliefs, personal experiences and social and economic factors, and many others. To help us navigate this process, we have multiple different strategies that we can deploy in helping making our choices. You can be impulsive. This is where you can make a quick and decisive decision. Or you can be compliant. And this is where you choose the most pleasing and comfortable and popular choice. You could also delegate the choice. This is where you leave the decision to others. Or you could avoid and deflect the choice altogether. This is where you avoid and ignore the decision. Or you may use a balancing strategy. This is where you weigh up all the different factors that are involved and make the decision based on information that you've collected. Or you could prioritize and reflect. This is where you use a systematic approach to make your best decision possible on the information that you have. You now only have to decide on which decision-making strategy you want to use. We make decisions based on mental processes that are influenced by our memories and personalities. And our emotions strongly influence our decision-making. Whenever we're about to make a decision, Somatic markers work as guides telling us how to act. These are the feelings in our bodies that are associated with emotions, such as nausea and disgust, or rapid heartbeat and anxiety. 
One of the most visible examples of the somatic marker hypothesis is the fight or flight response, where a specific situation causes your heartbeat to accelerate so you can make the right decision to ensure your survival. So it's no surprise we find it hard making decisions. There are a host of biological interactions kicking off in the background. Humans are unreliable decision makers because our judgments are strongly influenced by irrelevant factors, such as our current mood, the time since our last meal, and the weather. The chance variability of judgments and decisions is called noise. Where there is judgment, there is noise, and usually more of it than you think. It has been found that professionals can often contradict judgments based upon the exact same information. Noise directly affects the accuracy of decisions, and it can affect our biases. Bias can negatively affect our judgment, whether it be overconfidence bias, an overestimation of our own judgment, confirmation bias, ignoring contrasting information for information that aligns with preconceived ideas, anchoring, an over-reliance on single predisposed piece of information to inform subsequent decision, or halo effect bias, the initial positive judgment unconsciously colouring the perception of the whole. These affect our ability to make objective and rational judgments, and they distort our contemplation of relevant information not currently involved in our decision-making process. Group dynamics can also affect biases. It's been found that groups that are larger are more susceptible to biased decision-making. Typically, you can break down the decisions into three types. Firstly, you have a zero-risk decision. These are choices that you have to make that have no or minimal risk if you get them wrong. There will be no lasting effect on what happens and you won't even remember how you made the decision in a few hours. Examples here might be which podcast you're going to listen to or what you're going to have for dinner. You don't want to use too much energy when making these types of choices. If you get stuck, you can just flip a coin. Secondly, you'll have low-risk decisions. These kind of decisions have consequences, but if you get it wrong, nothing major is going to happen. Things like booking a hotel or which video conferencing tool to use at your company. Whichever decision you make will be fine. And again, you won't remember how you made it in a few weeks. Here, you need to have a light critical thinking process to help you make your decision quickly without wasting too much time and energy. And finally, we have high-risk decisions. These kinds of choices that you have to make can have a major effect on your life and ultimately your happiness. Examples here might be which degree you're going to study or which city would you like to live in or what kind of profession do you want. This is where you need to spend your time and energy and this is where you need a decision-making process that gives you confidence in your final decision. Knowing the risk levels of your choice gives you clarity on how to deal with the options that you have and having a systematic approach to decision-making will save you time and energy and you can be positive in the choice that you've made. Here are three ways you can start making better decisions starting today. One, lean on data and expertise. Two, choose a methodology. Three, be less confident. One, Lean on data and expertise. Having relevant information at your fingertips is crucial to making better decisions, whether it be a matter of performance, expansion, recruitment, finance, or crisis management. 
you must uncover the details to be adequately informed. And the best approach for assembling this information is to combine data sources and human expertise. Data analytics is a big part of global business now and paramount in the decision-making process. And because data has its limitations, it's critical to lean on experienced human heads that contain vast amounts of highly valuable information. Data will help you identify specific performance areas and find the detailed information required to make the decisions that are going to be most effective. To get good data, try collecting and utilizing data scientists within the organization or hunt it down yourself. This is especially important during the current COVID-19 crisis because organizations in critical situations often rely solely on the management team's experience and the pandemic has shown that digitally native organizations, insight driven by default, have shown much higher resilience. Some have been able to fortify dominant market positions, even growing share value while stock markets tumble. These organizations are equipped to manage the crisis more smoothly and are expected to recover and excel faster once markets return to normal. One danger of relying solely on data is that you could ignore more specialist areas not covered by it, such as legal parameters or the experiences of particularly knowledgeable individuals or groups, which is why it's crucial to enlist the help of others. Data scientists and domain experts can help interpret and understand data, and human expertise, whether it be advisory or for the purposes of dissent, can provide a fuller picture of the problem at hand and help alleviate any confirmation biases. So seek out rich sources of data and track down subject matter experts. Once you've gathered enough valuable information, look at all your options together. You are 22% more likely to choose the objectively best choice if you view all the options together rather than one at a time. Two, choose a methodology. Now that you've gathered enough information and data and gained a clear understanding on the risks involved in your decision, you can now use a decision-making methodology to help you decide. There are many different methodologies that you can pick here, and it all depends on your situation. You could use game theory or a decision tree, cost-benefit analysis, and multi-voting, to name a few. A powerful technique to use is the multiple criteria decision analysis. This methodology can assist you in making those high-risk choices in a systematic way and is a simple way into making decisive decisions when you have several different possibilities. It works like this. Firstly, you need to build a criteria list for your decision. Maybe you want to decide between different job offers. Some of the criteria here might be income, location, promotion opportunities, equipment. Each of these items needs to have a value. So let's say location is four, income is five, promotion opportunities is three, and equipment is two. Choose one of your favored options and compare it to one of the other options. Then systematically go through your list scoring each option. At the end of the process, one option will come out on top. Remember, you're basing this on the information that you've gathered in your criteria set. The losing option is then discarded, and another choice, if you have one, is selected to go head-to-head -head with the winning option. Do this until you've gone through every single option you have, and you will come down to the ultimate winner. At no point, bring back a losing option. This will only confuse the whole process and stop you moving forward. Using a multiple criteria decision analysis is an effective method 
to make those high risk and some low risk decisions. There are many different techniques that you can use and it all depends on the kind of choice that you need to make. Research and find different methods that can help you in the future. Three, be less confident. Our decision-making is influenced by many factors and we often suffer from overconfidence bias. This is the dangerous tendency for us to make assumptions based on the egotistical belief that we're better than we actually are. This compromises our decision-making ability because we assume that we're in fact already very good decision-makers consistently making correct and effective decisions, which is very unlikely to be the case. It's very easy to be overconfident in our abilities and this can lead to us being unequipped to handle things that go wrong. Whatever outcome you think will result from a particular decision, there is a high chance that is less likely than you think. And if something unexpected occurs, your overconfidence in the anticipated outcome could mean that you're completely unprepared. If you have an overconfidence bias in your own sense of direction, you may be poorly equipped to deal with the possibility of getting lost. To avoid this, place more emphasis on the times when you misjudge the likelihood of an outcome in previous decisions of a similar nature. When setting an important deadline, ask yourself whether you've historically achieved similar deadlines. If you're really keen to build resilience in this area, consider taking a course in probability. This will give you a better understanding of the likelihood and risk involved in difficult decisions. So after gathering information and assessing the probabilities involved with important decisions, take time to consider the implications of alternative outcomes. You may have made your decision based on ambiguous information. It may also be the case that the least likely outcome occurs. While it may be possible that you aren't overconfident, accepting that you probably are will catalyze you to double check your decision-making process and help you plan for the possibility of unpredictive consequences. This approach will help reduce and correct future decisions that result in negative outcomes. So to recap the three ways you can do this starting today. One, lean on data and expertise. Two, have a method. Three, be less confident. The most radical solution to the decision-making problem is to replace human judgment with algorithms that use data to produce a prediction or make a decision. As uncomfortable as some people may be with the idea, studies have shown that while humans can provide useful input to formulae, algorithms do better in the role of final decision-maker. And while the replacement of existing employees by software can be cost-effective in the long term, it's also a very painful process that encounters resistance in the short term, unless it frees those employees up for more enjoyable tasks. Some of you sent in comments and questions from the last episode, so let's hear them. Hi there, um, this is Dave uh, calling. Um, thanks for your podcast, I, I enjoy it. Um, I've, got, uh, I've got to make a decision about whether to invest in a new... Um, in a new digger actually a new bit of plant um for my business um the the decision i've got to make is whether to continue hiring the equipment or whether to buy outright um i wonder whether you could give me some tips please thanks guys hi dave many thanks for your question lots of businesses and individuals struggle with this decision because there are pros and cons on both sides leasing can look appealing due to the low or even zero deposits and because leasing payments may be lower than the equivalent financing options available when buying. But leasing can be subject to unexpected costs, such as early termination, usage overages, and additional insurance. So check the fine print carefully. 
and search out a handful of online calculators that can help you map out the financial implications over the coming months and years. Once you've got all the data, I suggest researching decision-making methodologies until you find one that feels like it could work for you. Finally, try keeping an open mind about all your options right up until you sign on the line. Good luck. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you picked up some bite-sized practical tips for making better decisions. If you liked this episode, please give us a five-star rating on your podcast platform of choice so more people can find us. Our next episode is Collaborating Remotely. Working together remotely has gone from being an occasional practice to an everyday norm for many of us. This new way of collaborating will remain longer after lockdowns are lifted, which is why it's so important for you to work on developing it. If you've got a question about collaborating remotely or any feedback on this show, you can leave us a voice message by using the link in the episode description. Or you can get in touch with us via our website at boostingperformancepodcast.com, which is where you'll find all the show notes and all today's tips and references. And where you can subscribe to the podcast or sign up for our weekly newsletter. Talk to you next time.